Well, we're here today to consider the passage from Luke 24, which David read to us, in which Luke presents the evidence for a supernatural event, the very rising from the dead of God himself in Jesus Christ and his walking amongst people, sharing his purpose and his new direction for the human race. And we're going to do that by looking at the two chunks of the passage, really. Firstly, considering the truth of the resurrection and then Jesus' commission to the disciples. So we're going to begin by considering that truth. Now, if I was to tell you that I'd seen Jeremy Corbyn and Theresa May having a drink together in the Berenicia on Thursday night, you know, you could be forgiven for doubting my word. You'd be entitled to. You'd wonder why you hadn't seen that reported in the papers or why you hadn't heard about it from somebody else. And then you might discover that, in fact, they were in completely different places on Thursday and couldn't possibly have met. You'd think it would be a very unlikely event at any time whatsoever, in any circumstances, but especially now. And you'd want an awful lot more than just my word for it. You'd be right to pour cold water on the notion. And it's in the expectation that evidence is required that Luke devotes such attention to the resurrection account. In fact, you could easily say, I think you'd be right to say, that in the whole of Luke's narrative, in the whole of his gospel, no section is more important than the attention that he gives to the resurrection. I mean... Elsewhere in the gospel, you know, he stresses Jesus as God's son entering into human history. He provides a comprehensive account of Jesus' ministry so that his footsteps can be easily traced. He builds up a picture of Jesus through words and actions, showing him to be compassionate and tender towards the poor and afflicted. And he follows Jesus to the cross and the sacrificial love that he shows there. So we have history, narrative, character development and climax. And yet, it is in this final chapter, this final chapter 24 of Luke, that the cornerstone of the Christian faith is laid in the resurrection accounts. The cornerstone of the Christian faith. Now who would be the best kind of person to record the evidence of an event that defies scientific understanding of what's possible for the human body? Who would be the most credible researcher of a bodily supernatural event? Well, I think a doctor might not be a bad start. Someone like Luke, someone who understands the means of life, the organs, muscle, Tissue, bone structures, circulation, respiratory systems that make us living, breathing beings. And from that position of expertise, Luke writes his orderly account of the resurrection so that his sponsor, Theophilus, may have 
the certainty on these things that he seeks. And that account of the resurrection comprises five episodes, all in chapter 24. First, the women's report of the empty tomb and supernatural appearances retold to Peter and to other apostles. Second, the two believers who encountered Jesus on the road to Emmaus broke bread with him and had their minds opened to scripture and prophecy. Third, Jesus appearing to the disciples in the locked room and the very physical manifestation of the risen Christ, which with flesh and bones He urges them to touch and that they can see for themselves. With hands and feet bearing the scars of crucifixion and with broiled fish that Jesus eats and digests. Fourth, Jesus who opens the the minds of the disciples to his life, death and resurrection as a fulfillment of all that's gone on in the Old Testament and commissions them to spread the word. And finally, his moving with them to Bethany and his ascension to heaven as they are moved to worship and praise. So from first reports to final departure, Luke leaves no stone unturned to show Jesus' resurrection as real. He doesn't try to explain how it came about by what forces of biology or chemistry or natural science these things happened. And he doesn't try to work out all of its implications. Not yet, at least. He certainly doesn't present it as a dream, a vision, or a hallucination. Instead, he simply reports it as substantiated and as a series of physical events, stuff that really happened as real. Something to be taken for reliable fact. Something, therefore, to believe. Now, believing in the resurrection is everything. A church that's half-hearted about the resurrection is no more than a Jesus Christ Appreciation Society as someone to be admired. A church that's half-hearted about the resurrection has no gospel for the world. There is no good news without the resurrection. Without it, it brings no hope, no evidence that God is alive, powerful and relevant in today's world. Yet because of Luke's account, and when we accept that as real for ourselves, we have all of those things, hope, Proof, power, and relevance. The truth of the resurrection. Have we accepted it? And if we have, have we thought about its implications for us and our place and role in the world? I'll come on to that later. In that second chunk of the reading, Jesus then commissions the disciples and although it's not immediately obvious from the text it's likely that verses 44 to 49 were set in a different location possibly with a wider group and Jesus begins to speak to them about the implications of what's happened and first he opens their minds 
so that they can understand the scriptures and takes them on a journey. Let's think about that journey. I wonder when he opened their mind to the scriptures if he quoted to them from Deuteronomy 18. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet from among your own brothers who speaks in my name. I wonder if he reported Isaiah 53, for he was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. As he used the touchstone of Old Testament reading to open up the scriptures, it sounds like any scales were lifted from the from the disciples' eyes, and they saw the fullness of Jesus' place in the history of God's redemption of his people. So I wonder if he quoted those sorts of things. I imagine that they began to see the benefit of what God had done as he spoke of repentance and forgiveness. That this was a way for them to clear themselves of all sin as those prepared to face up to sin and turn to him. I imagine if they, that they began to saw the benefit of this type of salvation. And as he coined the term preaching to all nations, I imagine too that they began to see that this would mean all Jerusalem, all Israel, all the world that they knew. And that this was something for everybody and not just for them. And as Jesus said to them, that you are witnesses of all these things. They might well have wondered what this would mean for them. And to be told that they would receive power from on high, I'm pretty sure they wondered what form the Spirit of God would take in them. But we are told in certainty of one thing concerning their reaction to all of this. That is that they worshipped him. They worshipped him. They saw him for who he was. And they returned to Jerusalem, not with the fear with, with which they'd begun their interaction, but with great joy. So they left in certainty, in worship and joy. You see, thus far, the disciples had followed Jesus either without complete understanding or certainly without any great expectation. You can tell that from their amazement at the, the resurrection. Even if they'd connected the dots that Jesus had told them would happen, they'd not taken on board that he actually would rise from the dead. So for them, the mist is clearing. And in the tradition that they had of sharing news by the word of mouth, that becomes the task now facing them. How do they tell others about the reality, about the truth of the resurrection? And isn't that a task that faces you and I now? If we are resurrection people who believe that we too are caught up in the great promises of Jesus to bring eternal life, forgiveness of sins and restored relationship with the Father to the repentant, then that has to be why we're here as well, doesn't it? 
Because we're descendants by faith of those first disciples. Luke went on to give a complete retelling of the way that they held together the truth of the resurrection with the commission of Jesus in the book of Acts. The truth of the resurrection and the commission of Jesus. And we stand in their line because the truth hasn't changed and the job isn't finished. The truth hasn't changed, the job hasn't finished. Jesus has not returned, not yet. And all nations have not received the message. And whilst most people today accept that Jesus is someone who lived, the resurrection is often either disputed or ignored because it spoils the rather sweet story of Jesus, the great man, and makes him something much greater. And the story remains subject to popular misconception, alternative retellings, new prophets, alternative theories and worldviews. But you and I, we have to hold on to the truth of the resurrection and continue to proclaim it in our lives and in our words as real and world-changing. We have to be the cross-cultural communicators of this age. We have to be the best we can at telling the story of reaching people and speaking in their language We have to seek all the help that we can get just as the disciples needed it and rely on the same Holy Spirit for God's power in us. And we have to be prepared to change as Peter did as he went in those few days from denying Jesus to proclaiming him in the power of the Spirit. Can you see that it is best, this we that I'm referring to, this Christian church of which we're a part, would be all of those things at its best. Truth-holding, nation-reaching, spirit-driven, transformation-seeking. And you and I, then, have to take steps forward one at a time. Invitation by invitation. Person by person. Conversation by conversation. Seed we may plant by seed. Fruit we may reap by fruit. Luke left his gospel with a kind of open ending. It was open because Jesus had left them, but the Spirit was to come. The shape of future events in precise terms was again unclear. But the disciples were learning to trust, to accept that they didn't understand everything, but to marvel at what had happened. And they waited, like tinderboxes waiting to be lit, so that in turn the light of Jesus might be seen and known through them and the Spirit. Let's share that light too, you and I. And let's let it burn brightly. Amen.